Uh, everyone, welcome to the Manufacturing Hub podcast. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. We are talking about cybersecurity for the entire month of February, and we are very excited about it. Again, we want to thank the folks at Phoenix Contact USA for sponsoring this theme. And let's just go ahead and jump into it. So we've had a couple of really good conversations. We talked a little bit about hardware. We've talked about assessments. We've talked a little bit about startups. We've kind of hit the range of things. And I am absolutely excited to, to have this guest this week. The first, well, the first of many things, the first, certainly the first PhD. Uh, so Dr. Heather uh, Booker, welcome to, the, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. And can I just say, I want a personal hype man in my life like Dave. And Vlad, you should be glad that you have a little hype man in your corner to push your YouTube channel. That was bit fantastic. That's how we synergize in general. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, again. Really appreciate it. But uh, Absolutely. Heather, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and as Dave mentioned, you know, we'll, we'll get into your background a little bit, but I want to, I guess, learn about your story. How did you get into cybersecurity? How did you, I would say, what was your educational path as well? And what are you doing today? So actually, I got into technology really, really young um, through an organization called Technology Student Association um, in like grade school and middle school and high school. And I competed with them like super nerded out with technology in various capacities. And that's kind of how I got introduced to engineering. Um, I actually have a bachelor's in computer engineering with a minor in computer science um, from a small engineering school in the state of Indiana, Rose Holman. If anyone knows what Rose Holman is, um, that's where I went to school for undergrad. Um, and I actually started my career as a developer for identity and access management software. And so through that, I kind of quickly found out that um, developing is awesome, but I wanted to be more involved with like the problem solving side of things, et cetera, and so forth. Um, so I got a master's in engineering management, which is kind of like a more engineering focused MBA, sort of. Um, and that kind of led me into consulting. And my cybersecurity background specifically is in identity and access management and governance, risk, and compliance. And like, truth be told, coming out of college, coming out of undergrad, if you would have told me like, yeah, you're going to go into cybersecurity, I would just be like, yeah, okay. Like I didn't have this like burning passion that I knew when I graduated, I want to be in the cyberspace. It just kind of all worked out that way. Um, and I've been here my entire career, but specifically um, now I'm the chief technology officer for a GRC organization called Six Clicks. And um, I kind of bridge our field team to our product and engineering teams and help solve complex uh, cyber problems in the governance, risk and compliance space with technology. Um, but I got here by way of like a really spaghetti bowl background of development and then consulting work and then product ownership and product management and, you know, solution architecting and all this sort of thing. Um, so I've done many different, uh, many different avenues to get here. So 
Before we unpack maybe GRC a little bit more, could you tell us about the learning curve that you had once you, you know, you said that you didn't intend to fully go into cybersecurity, but once you got exposed to it, what was it like to to learn? What was, again, was that covered in your master's slash PhD program? And what would you recommend for someone trying to get into the field now, maybe pursue? Sorry, a lot of questions back. No, that's okay. Yeah. So let me unpack those one by one. So I I got my bachelor's and master's degree in the same uh, five-year period, and then I started my career. So I actually had, um, let's see, about five years between my master's program and choosing to pursue a PhD. Um, And my PhD is in cybersecurity and information assurance. So um, I chose to go down that path for my doctorate because I was in it. I kind of became passionate about cybersecurity because I actually started understanding like what that even means, right? It's just this kind of word that a lot of times we just throw out there and say, oh yeah, cybersecurity is important. Well, what what, what is that, right? It's so much more than we know. Um, So for someone that is really looking to get into this space, I think my biggest piece of advice would be to maintain an open mind because cybersecurity goes beyond technical controls. It goes beyond controls in general. Um, And it goes beyond the actual, what we think of in layman's terms as the cyberspace, right? When we start talking about things like the cloud environment and transferring data between, um, you know, solutions or between applications or, you know, locations or whatever the case may be. It's, it's just so much more than that. Um, and so really taking the time to understand where you're interested, I think is important, but also being open enough to have a spaghetti bowl background in cybersecurity. And I think getting involved in cyber is why my background is so um, kind of jumbled in all of these different areas, because it is such, the, is such a broad spectrum of stuff. There, there are so many different things that go into cyber. There are so many different, you know, roles that you can have as in the cyberspace. Um, and it all is all going to vary based on industry verticals. And do you want to work with software? Do you want to be in hardware? Do you want to be in consulting? Do you care about processes or, you know, all these kind of things that it's just really about taking the time to understand all of these different places you can go with it. And being open to kind of making some changes and maybe failing a little bit along the way. Um, that's what I learned most. I learned what I didn't want to do a lot more than what I learned I wanted to do, if that makes gotcha. sense. Right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's definitely uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of uh, going back to GRC or governance risk and compliance. If my understanding is correct, cybersecurity fits as a subset of that. Could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit more and kind of give our viewers who might not be familiar with the term uh, uh, an explanation? Yeah. So GRC is this um, kind of a paradigm that we don't know that we're doing it, but we're all kind of doing it, right? Um So GRC kind of, it's the cliche that I use all the time, uh, the people process and technology. You can kind of suss that out to be GRC space. The governance is going to come into effect with policies, awareness, and governing the people of the organization um, per se. And then your risk is going to be 
literal risk, right? What is our risk appetite? Uh, where appetite is going to be things like, you know, how much money are we willing to lose if we have an incident occur versus how much money do we want to invest to ensure that incident doesn't happen? Um, those types of conversations. And then compliance is going to be compliance with literal compliance with regulations. It could be self-compliance, right? Putting foundational frameworks in place to make sure that um, you have a compliance foundation to then build off of, right? To be to have a more sound practice. Um, so I would say that cybersecurity fits into there in many different ways. The very literal technical controls, right? When we start talking about like the ISO 27001s or the NIST CSFs, like those um, literal technical controls. But cyber is also gonna come into play with governance, right? Uh, creating security awareness, cybersecurity awareness, you know, don't click the link in the email that you don't recognize the sender from, right? All of the phishing stuff and ransomware and all of these things that we hear about all of the time, that's kind of where cyber meets GRC. And again, like we just don't know it, but we're all doing it. Anytime you read and acknowledge an internal policy document at your organization, you just participated in your organization's government governance program you just didn't explicitly know that our GRC team or our internal InfoSec team is, you know, running a proper GRC program. And I can I can certainly relate to that. As I mentioned, you know, off stream yesterday, I've had several encounters where, you know, those controls were tested. And from the engineering right. standpoint at the time, I didn't necessarily understand, you know, what was happening besides me having to provide some information to them. But I think it's certainly important at least from a standardization standpoint to make sure that everything functions as you would expect at every level of the organization. So if I may ask, you know, based on that kind of experience, what are some of the first steps in establishing such a program, right? So looking maybe at a manufacturing site or any business, I would say that employs technology for that matter, what would be um, some of the first steps that you would recommend them to take to get in compliance and start these um, I would say formal processes. Sure. Um, it's going to vary a little bit. Um, some manufacturing or industrial technology organizations are going to be forced into compliance um, because they're going to be regulated by, you know, some, maybe it's a QSA or some other auditor because they want to do business. It, for example, if they want to do uh, business in the government sector, well, then you're going to have to start looking at things like CMMC or potentially FedRAMP, all depending on what type of um, contracts you're trying to do or what type of goods and services you're trying to provide. Um, so some, some people are going to be forced into it. And those types of regulations are going to help a little bit um, get started in the GRC space. It can also be obviously extremely overwhelming. I mean, if, especially if we start talking about government and FedRAMP controls, there are hundreds of them, right? It's going to be way overwhelming. But what I always recommend and what I used to recommend back in my consulting days when I would come into like smaller organizations or um, budding organizations of any kind, I would tell them, you know, we need to come up with a game plan around a framework, just a baseline framework. NIST CSF is a good example of that. Um, it's a very I don't want to say it's a very basic framework, but it, it does provide a nice guideline. The NIST um, organization in general provides a lot of basic guidelines for organizations trying to get off their feet. Um, I would also say that, you know, the 
the basics are, do you have policies in place, right? Acceptable use policies, access control policies. Are you doing things like least privilege on your applications or two-factor authentication or some of these, you know, um, kind of foundational items that you can build your governance program off of. And then, you know, when you're getting started, it's just about the, the foundation, like how, what is our risk appetite? How much money are we willing to lose versus how much do we need to invest to prevent? Are we going to be preventative or do we have the appetite to be more reactive? Understanding that being reactive is going to create loads and loads of consequence financially with reputational damage, et cetera, and so forth. But that those are the types of decisions that organizations have to make from a business perspective um, before they can even get started in GRC. And then, you know, to your point, Vlad, it takes everyone in the organization, top down, bottom up, everybody impact is impacted by and impacts your GRC posture. So I think another thing that organizations oftentimes um, don't necessarily do well is communicating to the, you know, resources outside of senior leadership, outside of executive teams that, hey, this is something that we are doing. This is an initiative that we have. What this means for you is X, Y, Z. You're going to have to sign off on policies once a year. We're going to come in and knock on your door and physically test and audit your controls and look at your systems and how they're set up and how you're using them. Um, and this is why you should care, right? It's, it's not enough to say, this is what we're going to do. You have to make it relatable. This is why you care as an employee, right? This is what it means to the organization. This is what it means to your everyday job, et cetera. Um, and it's, you know, I, I know I kind of, um, hopped all over the place there, but it's, there are all these little things that some, that an organization can do just to get started down the path. And I think those come down to find a framework that works to get you started. Awareness, you know, if you truly go down the GRC initiative, make sure everyone in the organization knows what they need to know, right? I'm not saying, you know, share all the, all the ins and outs with every single one, but at least on a need to know basis, right? Give them the information that will empower them to want to be a part of that journey. Because the last thing you want to do is start implementing controls and start auditing, et cetera, and then meet resistance, right? right. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I would start. It starts with a good framework. It starts with awareness and, um, you know, really taking the time to build a foundation. Yeah, no, and again, I can certainly relate to that because not knowing what that initiative is makes you, I wouldn't say not necessarily not want to put in the extra effort, but you're questioning why that effort is required exactly. when you don't fully understand, you know, the, the extent that may happen. And, and again, from a technical standpoint, you might not always recognize the business repercussion uh, that might occur if uh, if you're not careful, right? In, exactly. At least in my role at the time. But yeah. um I want to ask, you know, proactive versus reactive. What are your thoughts in the current space maybe of cybersecurity? How do you see, again, working with different clients, not mentioning any of the names, of course, but how are people at the, I would say, more on the proactive edge versus reactive in, in the space of cybersecurity? I think since we've seen a um, the, the zero trust type models becoming more prevalent. So zero trust being, you know, trust no one, right? Uh, do your due diligence on all of your entire supply chain, 
make sure everything, everyone and everything has limited access to systems, et cetera, and so forth. It takes a very stringent approach um, to cybersecurity. I think we're seeing more organizations become proactive. Um, and it's obvious that, you know, when, when we think of cybersecurity accidents, we instantly go to breaches, right? Ransomware, things like that, because that impacts us as consumers of products and applications and any other type of goods and service. And uh, we've seen, especially in the past probably 10 or so years, what those what those breaches can do to an organization, you know, Equifax or, um, you know, there, you could sit here and name a ton of them. And that kind of reactive approach could, you know, send an organization to the ground. Um, so I think cybersecurity is becoming less of a buzzword and more of a top of mind initiative in organizations. And so we're seeing, uh, you know, organizations that aren't even regulated, right? But who want to have a sound InfoSec program come to us and say, hey, I wanna implement your tool. You know, we wanna get our ISO 27001 certification just because we want to, or we have, um, we wanna manage our policies out of your platform so that we can maintain attestations to policies, for example, even though they don't have an auditor knocking on their door about their policy program. But we're just seeing more and more organizations want to build these sound practices and become more proactive. And certainly in the long run, proactive is best, right? I mean, reactive mindsets cost dollars, they cost reputation, they cost resources, um, and they can be completely detrimental depending on how bad the incident may be. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll continue to see that type of shift. I really hope so. I think in the last couple of years, we've seen some numbers that uh, I would say more on the ransomware side that trended upwards. Right. And so more and more mm -hmm. companies are shifting their mindset. Dave, I want to yeah. maybe give you an opportunity to ask a question before I keep bringing us this down this rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So I think you brought up a lot of really good points, Heather. I want to take us back to kind of an earlier point when we were talking about GCR uh, or GRC and when you kind of introduced, you said something to the effect of people have governance risk, governance risk and compliance, whether they know it or not, right? So they, they have processes in place. Can you talk a little bit about unwritten processes that may fall under that? and why they want to move towards what I'll call written processes, some sort of actual InfoSec larger uh, planned uh, idea? Sure, so what I really mean is, um, you know, there are so many processes that fall under the GRC umbrella that mm -hmm. come second nature that organizations just don't even think about. And to your point, Dave, it, it's, it doesn't have to be written um, necessarily. I mean, it does and it should, right, for some obvious reasons like attestations and having a, a source of truth document, things like that. But organizations are generally following some GRC practices like um, when they're onboarding a new um, a new employee, for example, taking them through and giving them access to only certain systems on a need to know basis. That's technically identity and access management to a degree, which is a part of GRC, which is part of an access control policy that's just not written down anywhere, right? So there are these things that people um, and organizations are doing inherently just because they know them to be a best practice or like they should be doing that to maintain any kind of level of security in their business. Um, but they, they're just not 
properly documenting it. I think another good example is a simple lock on a server door, right? Physical security is just as much a part of GRC as cloud security is, or as, you know, any other type of um, technical control security is. Having locks on your doors, having badged entry into your brick and mortar systems or into your brick and mortars, or, you know, not allowing um, badged entry, not allowing um, followers after badged entry, like all of those sorts of things fall under physical security, but ultimately it's protecting your assets, right? And that's what GRC is not all about, but that is a component of GRC is asset protection, asset management, et cetera. And all of these other realms that, you know, you just don't connect the dots because GRC isn't always this common term that people know, especially if you've not been in the IT space or in the cyberspace. Um, but everyone's kind of inherently doing it. Interesting. I, I think I, I like that. I think I hope that, you know, many people will think of GRC to include the lock on the uh, on the server door. Now, if they're like Vlad and just kind of jimmy it open with the screwdriver, because that's what the guy <laughs> who's worked here for 20 years has said, I mean, maybe it's the key, maybe it's not the key. That, that's certainly not, you know, best practices or end goals. But I think th those are all very good points of we have some sort of kind of GRC plan, whether right. it's intentional and written down and in SOPs within handbooks, or it's a lock on a server door and maybe some 2FA, maybe some biometrics, something along those lines. So I think that that's an interesting point. Um, another point that you had kind of briefly brought up is kind of the supply chain and vendor risk. So supply chain is obviously a very hot topic. I'm not sure you can down the street without someone complaining they can't get an iPad or someone in the industrial <laughs> space saying, hey, I can't get an HMI or it's 27 weeks for a PLC or kind of any of these other things. So uh, how does GRC tie into supply chain and vendor risk? Oh, man. Um, immensely. Vendor risk is risk, right? I mean, literally, because risk is in the name, but coming back to like the, the trust of zero, the, excuse me, the concept of zero trust, Mm -hmm. Vendor risk and supply chain is 100% a part of that. Once you start saying, okay, I have a consultancy service that I'm bringing in, they're accessing our brick and mortar every single day, or we have to provision them on XYZ application because they're helping us manage our clients or they're helping us do whatever service that they're providing, mm -hmm. you've just introduced new types of risk to your organization. Therefore, that vendor needs to be assessed, right? Um, where assessed means in, an, in the ideal, you know, rainbows and bunny world, you're triaging them before you even onboard them as a vendor, meaning before any contracts are signed, you're taking them through like a, a scoping assessment to understand what are you doing for us? What are you going to have access to? AKA, what is the potential risk you could be bringing to the organization? If, you know, they're hosting your client's data and it's on a public cloud and Joe Smith outside of the U.S. can access it, you might not want to do business with that vendor because you're yep. putting your customer's data at risk. Um, but further to that, you're going to assess your vendors based on this triage process, right? So mm -hmm. vendor A could be the guy who's coming in and... Um, you know, doing lawn care and, you know, maybe helping us clean our brick and mortar and all this sort of thing. He has physical access to our ass assets, 
but he doesn't have access to our system. So we need to send him this truncated version of an assessment because mm -hmm. he's not, we're not officially onboarding him, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas vendor B is, you know, processing data for us or accessing data and accessing our systems. And we're going to give them an email address for the organization so that they can have a pseudo, um, you know, a pseudo login to our systems and pseudo represent our organization. I need to send that person a questionnaire that's going to be much longer, much more robust, because that is a much higher risk for our organization than vendor A was. And all of this comes back to the organization's risk posture, because when we talk about risk, we're not just talking about your employees, your assets. We're talking about all the systems that access those assets, especially if they're external. We're talking mm -hmm. about all of your vendors and suppliers and what type of risk that brings to the organization. And again, this risk can be tangible right? It can be, you know, we, they're pulling up to our loading dock and taking half of our assets and shipping them across the country, right? Or they're, they're doing um, deliveries for us or what have you. That is a totally different level of risk and a totally different type of risk to, again, the outsourced IT guy that you're bringing in to help you manage your cloud environment or do some such. Um, so it's, it's really complex, but vendor and supply chain risk is so imperative when it comes to um, GRC programs or InfoSec or any organization, period, because there are so many different types of vendors and we're seeing so much more outsourcing to yes. third parties for goods and services and all of this intertwine. I mean, it has to be tracked and it has to be assessed because now that's your risk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm sure Vlad has a lot of questions, but as you were saying that, I had this like traumatic flashback. So uh, fun, maybe not fun for the then user story. So I, I was working on a project, right? So they were looking to do a brownfield facility. And so as most people do, they bid out a bunch of different projects, including most of their process and they wanted to have robots, right? This was one of those oh, yeah. robots because robots are cool, <laughs> not because we necessarily need robots. And so they got the three or four bids and one of the bids came in like a quarter of the price of the rest of them. Now, I, I would imagine in something like this, and if you're going to go do vendor assessments, that should throw up red flags, right? Like why are these guys saying that it's a quarter of the price of everyone else? Well, the folks in charge of the project, like that didn't throw up any red flags probably because they were going to come way under budget. It was going to look really good so that yep. they accepted. And so we'll, Fast forward like what, 12 to 18 months later, and they were supposed to be implementing, but instead of being able to implement and start up and do all of those fun things, that's around that point in time that we realized that the vendor had never touched robots before, and they bid it super low because it would be like really fun to go and use robots. And so it's just these cascading series of effects. Uh, and I mean, they, they were like years over time and millions or tens of millions of dollars over budget in the the, the the vendor that bid it kind of went bankrupt from all the, the issues that they Perfect. had. But that kind of <laughs> that kind of goes back to the zero trust and the vendor risk assessment. And well, they should have gone and assessed the vendor at the vendor site long before they accepted the bid, probably before they actually let them bid, they probably should have done this. So this is kind of a slightly more like painful physical uh, example, as opposed to a cyber example. In the cyber example, similar to what you had, like yeah. someone can say we do it if we don't do a good risk assessment and vendor assessment. 
then they could literally come and steal all of, all of our data and information because we've literally given them the keys and we've given right. them the keys and there, there has to be some, there should be a high level of trust that they're just not going to walk off with all of our proprietary information. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, like when we talk about vendor assessments in the GRC space, even we're going beyond cyber, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're talking about things like, did you conduct background checks on these vendors before you onboard them? Does everyone in your environment, everyone who has access to your environments, did you conduct background mm -hmm. checks or did you, nope. you know, um, put them through the ringer essentially, you know, kind of, uh, all encompassing before you just said, here you go, here are the keys to your point, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Go go drive around, we'll see how it goes. Um, yep. You know, vendor risk is a lot more than cyber. Cyber is obviously a huge component of it, yes. but you know, it's it gets really interesting because, um, you know, it's, it's something that we see a lot of organizations or I've seen a lot of organizations over the years, um, not, I don't wanna say they're not taking it seriously, but it's kind of an afterthought. Right. Yes. Because it, it's external. And that's where we kind of saw the uprise of zero trust and things like that. But back in my consulting days, I had a lot of organizations that were like retroactively fitting vendor risk management into their existing you know, list of thousands of vendors. And then they start going back and they start having a lot of like, you know, oh, crap moments because yep. they're like, I can't believe we signed a contract with this guy. You know, or I can't yep. believe he's at, had access to our systems and is an admin on System X for the past yep. six years. And we, you know, we weren't applying lease privilege or we weren't, you know, yep. maintaining um, access control properly on critical <laughs> infrastructure. It's it becomes really eye opening. Um, and the, the worst part or uh, what should be the most motivating part out of all of it is at the end of the day, it's all on the organization. Right. Absolutely. The customer doesn't care that the breach happened because you're doing business mm -hmm. with a bad third party, a fourth yep. party to them. Right. Yep. Or, you know, you you chose to accept the risk that a vendor may bring to your organization. And now mm -hmm. you've suffered a breach. Customers don't care about that. No. Um, don't. Yeah, so that's that could be motivation enough to uh, yes. take vendor and supply chain seriously. So. Well, Heather, you know, on, on that point, I, I do have a question on those edge cases, right? What we typically see in manufacturing and like I would say like engineering in general is that, again, you have a, I would say a very blanket policy that, again, regulates, let's say, who has access to certain type of data or even a network or, you know, a piece of hardware or software on the plant floor. But then there's going to be one person of that, let's say, larger engineering group who needs access to for example, installing software on their laptop so they can access one of these, you know, obsolete control systems or what have you. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of, I think, like potentials to breach from that standpoint. I'm wondering how would you deal or how do you typically deal uh, when it comes to those compliances and also maybe taking it from the other side, how would you approach, you know, before creating the breach from like a, an, the engineer standpoint, how would you approach your management team and saying like, what can we do to change these policies to make sure that they capture some of these, I would say, again, edge cases that you'd find, at least in manufacturing spaces? So that's a really good question um, because there are always exceptions to the rule and there are always edge cases edge cases and outliers to consider. Now, my, my ears kind of perked up when you said an obsolete system because in GRC, no system should be obsolete. If it is obsolete, it should be sunset, 
right? Right. Uh, and cybersecurity in general. I mean, not really just a GRC rule, but cybersecurity in general. Obsolete systems lead to failures, lead to problems. You know, however that that's defined. Um, but in any case, there's um, a typical process. We call it an exception uh, process that we go through or that organizations can go through um, where that in that particular instance um, that you've described, Vlad, it would be an exception request through the appropriate chains. Now, it's hard to say what those appropriate chains are because that's going to vary from organization to organization as far as how many levels of approval are required or, you know, who has the ultimate um, veto power to say yes or no, approve, deny. And, but in any case, exception requests um, oftentimes um, are temporary. So for example, um, this exception request, you would um, submit it and say, I need access to system XYZ because of insert reasoning here. I need to be able to access um, an obsolete set of controls that we need to start sunsetting or I need to pull data from them or whatever the case may be. And that exception request would be approved or denied through that process and valid for X amount of months. So um, there are instances where there are permanent exception requests. Um, when it comes to access control, that's almost never the case um, because access control is so sensitive. So oftentimes I would see um, that type of process, you know, starting because of a use case like what you've described. Right. Um, other types of exception requests may be um, we have a legacy system that's no longer supported by its manufacturer, um, but we have to keep it around until we can replace it and its software is out of date. And, but we can't do anything about it because it's no longer supported. And so now we have data sitting on an outdated system with outdated software but I can't update it and I can't do anything about it and I don't have a new product. A lot of exception requests would be somewhere along those lines or, you know, it needs a firmware update, but I can't update it because of X, Y, Z reason, things like that. So we usually have exception request processes to handle all of those outlier use cases because the most important thing to remember at the end of the day when it comes to GRC and how you're, um, handling your GRC program from a people process and even tech perspective. As long, not, I don't want to say, I don't want to be on record and say, as long as it's recorded, you're fine, but audit trail is everything, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we have this concept of exception requests. And while um, they are hopefully few and far between, it's still there. And as long as you have the audit trail of, you know, I submitted it on this date, Joe Smith approved it on this date, yep. Barbara, approved it on this date. It was temporary for three months. You know, that that's most of the time going to be good enough because at least you can prove a process there. And at yep. least you put it through stringent activity before you just said, yep, go ahead, access that system, do what you need to do, no problem. Audit trails, everything. No, that's very interesting. Again, I, I wanted to ask that question because it is something that I've personally seen, again, in, in my experience. So there's a lot of, I would say, maybe a lot of hoops to jump through in order to get something approved of that nature. And it just becomes right. a, a shortcut or an available, I would say like loophole, but ultimately it should be, I would say more of a, 
in my mind, like more of an educational exercise to, I would say, the employees in those positions and what can be done. And I think who to contact if you need to get that exception. But I think that process uh, definitely makes sense. And again, if done correctly, I could see how the right channels could uh, could bring you to the right resolution of having to deploy those systems. Absolutely. And I was going to say kind of to that point, uh, or maybe the, the counterpoint, we don't really do very well in that. Uh, I was having the, the conversation earlier this week, and it's kind of my estimation of the last, call it 50 systems that I worked in and have login credentials that my, my you know, uh, password manager may or may not still have saved. I imagine I could get into like 46 to 50 of those 50 systems, especially on shared passwords, right? So shared passwords to log into accounts, and then it's the vendor account, right? So instead of it being a personal account, then it's a vendor account, you know, that risk just goes off the rails because everyone is moving around companies so often these days, you know, it doesn't take very much to save. It doesn't take very much for people to continue to have access that they're not looking for and would never go back in. But if you are a, if you're someone who's malicious and you want to get into something that just reduce that just, you know, shoots the risk to a, a crazy level. And on the cyber side, it is, it is one of those that it is exceptionally low hanging fruit, right? Like lots of people talk about two factor authentication. I mean, in many manufacturing instances, we could probably just remove admin password as general logins to, to most manufacturing facilities. And we'd probably be, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 62% more secure um, on the cyber side of protecting our OT networks. Well, you know, everyone with a cyber background just shuddered when you said yeah. shared password. So, oh yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's where yeah. we can start talking about things like, um, you know, automatic password resets, expirations, mm-hmm. Password yes. complexities, you know, um, I'm looking at you password with a capital P guy, you know, like all of that <laughs> sort of thing. And it's, it's funny, um, you know, over the years, these regulations have gotten just more and more granular, more and more stringent yep. down to your password should contain X number yep. of characters, da, 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 da. like setting that within regulations because it's become such an issue for that yes. very reason. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, quite interesting and that, that's a good point too you know if we can dive into a little bit on the on the password side again my experience has been that typically if it's requested to change let's say every three months that policy should also be i would say more stringent than changing just the last digit and going through like mm-hmm. the increments of that password so there's yeah. i would say like there's a lot of intricacies to you know to those policies beyond just mm-hmm. like making a blanket maybe statement you have to change it and People need to realize why they're changing that and maybe be more educated on like what could happen. Um, Absolutely. But it, yeah. uh, I was going to ask. Um, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I just had one comment on that. I think that's also where um, layered controls kind of come into place, right? So change your password every 90 days plus have 2FA where, you know, mm-hmm. the code on your authenticator app is changing every 30 seconds. You know, right. it's it's not good enough anymore. Uh, you know, hackers are too sophisticated. Malicious intent has gotten too sophisticated. Um, it's Im- nearly impossible to stay ahead of it. So mm-hmm. layering controls and layering mechanisms like that is kind of the only chance we have um, of blocking malicious attacks or what have you or attempts. Absolutely. Um, 
but yeah, it's yeah, always about awareness for certain. Oh, definitely. I mean, again, like on the password side, if it becomes too complex, again, and I've seen this practice, right? Because you have a 10 character or even 12 character password, you just write it down on a post-it. Here it is on the bottom <laughs> of the screen because you just can't yep. physically remember. So two-factor authentication definitely uh, helps with that. But, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the, I would say, advancements in cybersecurity. What are your thoughts on I think there's a lot of new software coming out, especially with, I would say, automated learning or that includes AI and machine learning. What are your thoughts on some of the newer technologies and maybe where are we seeing cybersecurity go from an automation and I would say automatic threat detection and prevention going? Yeah, man, such a cool space because GRC, this realm of cybersecurity and cybersecurity in general is like the epitome of big data. There is so much data to analyze. I mean, we haven't even started talking about or mentioned vulnerabilities um, and number of, of assets, cloud management. You know, what if I my assets sit in the cloud, um, monitoring cloud compliance against cloud controls, all this sort of thing. I think if we don't start leaning on AI more and more, there it's just going to be impossible to keep up with. I mean, just absolutely impossible. Um, because what AI provides is true analytics, predictive analytics, predictive analysis, um, you know, just simply finding trends in data. Hey, by the way, you have a vulnerability sitting on this system that was low last month and a high criticality this month. You should probably do something about that. You know, a, a human doesn't have the capacity or the resources to sit there and do that type of data analysis. I mean, perhaps they do. We've been doing it for this long, right? I'm not trying to say that we're incapable, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a resource ill spent, right? Mm -hmm. Um when we can put it off on natural language processing uh, for comparisons, drawing comparisons and data, or, you know, just providing predictive analytics with AI. Um, I think that it's inevitable that we'll continue to see AI becoming more prominent in cyber in general. Um, but predictive analytics is really what I see the trend trending most towards. Because it, it, the ma the masses of data, it's just becoming impossible. You can think you think about these really large organizations, even manufacturing organizations, with thousands of assets and potentially tens of thousands of vendors. So, where do they begin even analyzing their risk posture? And how how do you even start to put that on paper or start to bring that into a tool manually? and managing all of that manually. And then you get into these environments where there's a, um, a hierarchical business structure where I have my main hub or my main manufacturing organization with a ton of subsidiaries, right? Maybe they've merged or acquired um, other smaller vendors because they were providing a certain part to the um, manufacturer. So they just, scooped them up and now they're a subsidiary that sits under. Um, then you have to worry about all of their risk and rolling all of their risk up to the parent organization or the main corporate headquarters. Um, it's just, it, it literally becomes a near impossible task without automation, AI, and like continuous monitoring activities. 
Yeah, and I'm, again, like not being an expert uh, in the space, I'd be curious to know about some of these tools that you mentioned and maybe taking a, a very basic example, you have maybe a very small manufacturing facility. Let's take a like a brewery, for example, that has maybe an on-prem server solution and maybe some data in the cloud that they collect on, you know, their batches or whatever they're producing. And they probably have, I don't know, 10 to 50 employees that are servicing the the operations. What could be the tools that they could bring in to sort of automate the, I would say, the data acquisition process, but also kind of sorting or sifting through that data and get some tangible information on how secure the operations are? What would that look like in general? Absolutely. So um, they could bring in a GRC solution um, like the organization that I work for. I work for an organization called Six Clicks Mm -hmm. um, and we provide a GRC solution backed by an AI engine. Her name's Haley. And this would enable an organization like a small brewery um, or any other large enterprise organizations and everybody in between um, to take the framework. So earlier we talked about frameworks being really important, having a foundational um, backbone of controls to uh, assess against and have as your compliance posture, to take that foundation and map it onto, or to take that compliance regulation and map it onto their internal policy documents. Meaning, this is what we say we're doing. Where does that line up with what we're supposed to be doing? Right. Um, A small organization can really benefit from that because it creates audit trail um, again, it shows that it shows proof. The proof is in the pudding, right? Not only do we say we're doing it, here's the proof that we are doing it. And that's what a GRC tool can help provide through tracking attestations, through bringing all of the data components of GRC into a single source of truth. Um, GRC, just like cyber, is broad, right? We've talked about governance and risk and compliance at a high level. But what that really means is policy management, incident management. Breweries, they have to worry about physical physical incidents, like the floor was wet, a patron slipped. That's an incident, right? Or our uh, payment card system, they have to worry about incidents related to whoever their payment card processor is. Um, or, you know, it. we have a flood. So all of our electrical components are now shot because one of our kegs burst or we had a tank burst or, you know, all of these sort of things that all can be fed into a GRC instance for tracking for remediation, right? What is our incident response plan? Um, You know, we could go down the incident path for probably another hour and a half um, because it's so wide and so many different things to talk about there, but really good GRC solutions bring all of this information into a single place Ultimately, they create repeatable processes, they create audit audit trails, and the best GRC solutions are going to help you automate all of these processes with recurrence and integration points and bringing in, you know, all of your vulnerabilities or all of your assets from your asset management system into this single pane of glass so that you can say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here are all of our processes. Um, anytime, you know, incident type A happens, anytime we have a spill and a fall, this is going to be our response to that. These are the actions that we need to take. And here's the audit trail that we did that when the patron fell in January, right? So it, 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 makes, your, it makes their posture more defensible. And um, it really, 
it's all about that single source of truth platform that brings it all together. And when you add AI on top of that, and it's just like, you know, feed the platform your data and let the AI go do the rest. I mean, it's streamlining to the max, right? I mean, it's, it's the epitome of streamlining. So. No, I think that there's a lot of uh, opportunities for sure in that space. And I think a lot of companies are, as I've said, realizing that and will automate this uh, quite a bit more extensively as uh, time goes by. Dave, what are your thoughts? Uh, absolutely. So I think that's very interesting. I want to dig into that more. But first, we've got some people to thank. So I'm going to ask Vlad to play the noise. And then we're going to thank Phoenix Contact uh, for sponsoring us. So Vlad, go for it. There we go. Awesome. Thank you. So as I mentioned, we want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this theme. In fact, we want to thank the award-winning MGARD family from Phoenix Contact. So they just recently won a controls engineer award. You guys should go check, go ahead and check that out and kind of look at all of that when you're done with the show. Uh, but so the MGARD family, if you're not familiar, uh, we talked with Mary in a couple of episodes ago. It's designed to provide cybersecurity protection and network resilience in all rugged and industrial environments. So it, can, it, excuse me, it combines features of a stateful packet inspection firewall, NAT router, and an endpoint security appliance. So the MGARDs are engineered to be both IT and OT friendly, which is important for, well, basically everyone listening to this. Uh, so features such as the firewall assistant and easy protect mode, the MGARDs are simple to configure securely while still providing unassailable protection for your critical assets. If you guys are looking at the Purdue model, this would generally fall in your like level three uh, firewall uh, sort of uh, <clears throat> sort of solution. So that's all very exciting. There's an entire cloud based uh, yeah. There's an entire cloud uh, based offering that the MGuard has as well. So you guys should absolutely go ahead and check that out. And again, we want to thank Phoenix Contact and the whole MGuard family. Uh, for sponsoring this theme and all of your continued support of the show. Now, before Vlad jumps in, I also want to remind anyone listening on the podcast that we are in February of 2022 giving away Industrial Cybersecurity. It's a book by Pascal Ackerman. Vlad will go, well, you guys are listening, so you can't see. Uh, Vlad is going to hold it up. And again, it looks more like a, a weapon than a super in-depth that I'm going to spend six months learning everything I have to do about cybersecurity book. Uh, go ahead and check that out at manufacturinghub.live. You can also go ahead and check out the show notes. Um, so with that said, uh, Heather, I, we, we told you, we kind of forewarned you of this. You, you've kind of given us a, an answer of where you think the future is going to be, uh, both in GRC as well as kind of like cybersecurity in general, maybe cybersecurity and GRC uh, in a more general sense. Uh, but we're, we're going to put you on the spot. What do you think the future is going to look like? I think we're going to see more organizations, even more organizations, mm -hmm. um, be taking GRC and cybersecurity much more seriously. I know that sounds cliche. I get it. Everybody says that. But it, it's, it's really, it's so imperative because cybersecurity and GRC especially, it, everyone has to do it to some capacity. Yes. Everybody has to maintain compliance to something at some capacity, whether they're regulated or not, because without um, a compliance backbone, your information security program may suffer. Therefore, you know, your organization may suffer overall breaches, incidents, all that fun stuff. But I think what we're going to start seeing is again, move, move towards AI uh, organizations maturing at incredible rates in this space. 
um, organizations, you know, there's a huge labor shortage right now that's affecting the cybersecurity and GRC space, making AI and machine learning even more imperative, right? Because organizations don't have the resources to spend on these types of analytics or this type of monitoring activity or maintaining this type of program. And that's where I think we're gonna see AI and machine learning starting to really take off. Um, in addition to that, I think that these more complex organizations with these parent-child relationships are going to have to start maintaining their GRC programs, or we're gonna see sort of a, an uptick in a need to maintain cybersecurity in this type of hierarchical model. Um, with this, these parent-child relationships, parent companies, subsidiaries, you know, parent companies of parent companies of subsidiaries, whatever the case may be, it just gets ever more complex, um, which again is why I think AI and machine learning will be really imperative with these really complex environments. Interesting. No, I, I think that I, I appreciate the conversation. I think we are all hopeful that the future are more people are more cyber aware, right? They're, they're more GRC aware. That, as, as we've discussed and we've discussed with most people, is a huge reason why we're trying to continue to have this topic and we're having conversations around the topic because it in 2022, it's super important and it's only going to continue to get more and more important as the supply chains are, threat, are stretched thin, as we are trying to find more people as internal and external resources to continue to move the companies forward as more companies become more and more remote and offer other abilities. And now we can just you know, remotely access all of these things. So uh, I, I absolutely agree. I think that it's going to become more and more important. Now, Vlad, I'm gonna typically ask your next question. Uh, so we, we like to ask, and Vlad has a, a love for career advice. He likes to play it off like he's trying to help other people, but some of us just really think that Vlad is looking for career advice for his own career. Uh, but Heather, so if, if you are, if you were talking to someone early or mid-career, maybe they're looking to get into cybersecurity or maybe they're looking to get into GRC or to learn more, uh, what, what would be your advice to them? Always be open-minded and always take the risk. Always. Just say that. yes. You know, I, and I, I think I say that because in, in my career, again, I'll, I sound like a broken record, but my career was such a spaghetti bowl, but, yep. and I learned what I didn't want to do probably a lot more than what I, you know, learned I wanted to do, mm -hmm. but I have, you know, it, it helped me advance in my career. I feel like I developed more of an arsenal for my career because I was in the habit of always saying, yes, yep, I'll go do that. Or Yep, I'll take that road and we'll see where it goes. Um, and for especially someone young in their career or just starting in a new industry, you don't have anything to lose, right? There's, there's always something you can fall back on. There's always a career move to make. So why not take the chance and take the risk and, you know, be really open-minded to things that you might turn your nose up at. Just, just do it. Just give it a go. I love that. So Vlad is going to have thoughts on that. But first, I want to make the comment that we're three episodes into the cybersecurity theme. And I think all three people have given eerily similar advice that include that's just awesome. say yes. I'm not, I'm not sure if, if that's a, a thing of the guests that we've brought on. I don't know if that's a function of cybersecurity. I don't know if everyone listening should be 
deeply terrified. That's all how that's how all the cybersecurity experts have gotten here. But uh, before, what are your thoughts on the career advice? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, I think it's uh, definitely um, it's definitely something to think about. I think, again, for my speaking for myself, at least the world of cybersecurity seemed very mysterious until we started having these conversations. And at least, again, from an engineering standpoint, it was always very scary of what it could like impact our systems with and not understanding the space and now having a little bit more of that knowledge uh, makes total sense how it's not necessarily a textbook approach, right? There's no predefined steps. So I think you have to be almost comfortable with ambiguity. And it's more of a, I would say, again, it's it's not a blanket approach to any given situation. There's a lot more, I would say, um, kind of creativity and thinking than just, again, here are the steps one, two, three, four, five that you need to achieve. So now that I've, again, spoken to a number of people on cybersecurity, I understand that it's not as scary as I initially thought. I think that's probably why you heard the same advice. That's hilarious. I didn't realize I was giving advice that had already been given, but I think, I think you're probably hearing something along that trend because we work in cyber and there are so many different silos within cyber, right? I, I work in cyber within the GRC niche, whereas, you know, other persons that you've interviewed or will interview may work solely in hardware and technical Mm -hmm. controls or, you know, um, a totally different approach to cybersecurity. And I think Vlad, you made a great point with, you know, it's not a one size fits all model, but that's also what makes this industry so exciting because we're always solving new problems and having to provide unique solutions Um, or, you know, there are so many things that go into cybersecurity, right? When you talk about what's your infrastructure, how many vendors do you have? What kind of vendors are they? Like there are all of these qualifying questions and that's forced us to be more open-minded and ready for change and all of these things in our careers. Cause I would be willing to bet that anyone you talk to this month and you've talked to previously have really similar spaghetti diagram type backgrounds that I do because there are just so many different directions and turns and things like that, that you can take in this industry. And I was going to make that comment too, I guess, like from an initial, again, perspective, it almost feels to some degree overwhelming because there's so many different Mm -hmm. directions that you could pull into. Right. And again, having maybe more of like a technical background, you'd be focused on, we want to secure the system that we have, like on the plant floor, we want to make sure our controllers are good, but it may kind of, I guess the word would be cloud or vision to some degree because you're not seeing the entire picture of a business. So right. it's, it's, you know, like, like it could be overwhelming at times on where to focus if you don't maybe take a step back and look at everything that's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Foundation is important. And, uh, and to that point, I think that cyber has grown exponentially within the last, you know, five to seven years, GRC has grown exponentially within the last five to seven years, both in in people and kind of scope, because there's been so much. And and as we grow as an industry, as industries and as the world, we're going to need more and more and there are different areas. And now we've had a couple of conversations in a row that talked about, excuse me, that talked about artificial intelligence, which I think is exceptionally, you know, exciting. And maybe some of those very like low hanging fruit applications that manufacturing and industrial companies can pull in because it's data 
that is generally similar, you know, across all industries. So I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and to kind of your point, Heather, I, I think that it's very good advice. Like many people have given the advice of, of just say yes. I think it's just amazing that we're three for three of, of cybersecurity <laughs> folks who, who have given the uh, given the same advice. So, so I, I appreciate that. Um, so I like to joke that this next segment is the hashtag not sponsorable audio or audible uh, sponsorship. Uh, so Vlad and I first started the asking for book or other recommendation and like 25 times in a row, Vlad said, I'm going to go download that book now. So now, now we like to, uh, to joke that it's the, uh, the not sponsored audible recommendation. Uh, do you have a book or a couple of book or other pieces of content information, um, that, that you would suggest people uh, take a look at? I also I actually brought a couple of podcast recommendations okay. because if you're listening to this, then you like podcasts at least a little bit. Um, yes. So a couple of podcasts that I would recommend, and these are specific to more like the GRC side, the risk side of cybersecurity. Okay. One's called Risky Business. And no, I'm not talking about the film. It's risky.biz. Um, and that's a really great one just to understand there's a diverse uh, realm of topics within yep. risk. If you're just trying to figure out, you know, what does risk even mean? It's a really mm-hmm. great podcast to go listen to. There's another one called um, the Compliance Podcast Network. And within this network, there are multiple um, different podcast series. Um, I've actually been on this podcast and it, the gentleman's name is Tom Fox. Uh, he's another great okay. resource. And I've been on his podcast a couple of times. So I'm, I promise I'm not biased. It's a, it's a good, it's a good podcast. Um, and he explores things like ESG, um, basic compliance, how to build a compliance foundation, um, lots and lots of good topics, great speakers on there. Um, so I'd recommend that resource as well, you know, just for some, some cruising, listening, you know, yeah. on, in the car, commuting. So, so, so I believe I have had the risky business podcast recommended based upon my other podcast listening habits. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? <laughs> like, uh, I, I remember it because of the name and, and I kind of had to do the double take on, on the name. So I don't know what that says about my podcast listening habits, but now everyone knows that that has, has made it into the, uh, <clears throat> that has made it into the feed in the past. Uh, so Heather, but before we ask who should reach out, we kind of briefly touched on what you do with six clicks on the, on the GRC and your AI Haley. Can you give us kind of like the, the super or the, the, the kind of overview of what you do um, and, and Haley, what you guys are building, please? Absolutely. So at six clicks, we're a full suite GRC platform. And what I mean by that is we support multiple modules, multiple workflows within the GRC space from policy management to incident management, compliance, vendor risk, risk management in general, ERM, everything in between in our platform. And um, we offer a unique architecture in that we can enable organizations with that hierarchical structure of parent-child relationship to manage their GRC programs within the children autonomously of one another, but then roll up to the parent. So this is great for like private equity firms, managing a client portfolio, or um, a holding company with multiple subsidiaries, or even a large enterprise with um, multiple regions that all need to operate autonomously of one another, but ultimately Mm -hmm. roll up to a corporate GRC posture. Um, But Haley, our AI engine, um, enables organizations to complete one assessment and 
map those results onto another. So she does automatic crosswalking between standards, laws, regulations, frameworks within cyber, within privacy, within FinServe, everything in between. Um, and what that would really mean is to give you like a practical example, if you came into our product and completed a, an ISO 27001 assessment, Mm -hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden you have to become compliant with PCI DSS, which is a payment card industry payment processor okay. uh, regulation. Once you complete your ISO 27001 assessment, Haley will take those results, map those onto PCI using the BERT model and show you your com potential compliance to PCI based on that one assessment. So it's an assess once apply to many type model using our AI engine. Um, in addition to that, Haley also maps internal policy documents. So your bespoke policies, right? This is our acceptable use policy. This is our bring your own device policy, whatever it may be. You can upload those into the platform and Haley will take those and map them onto your compliance requirements. So this is important for organizations that are getting audited, right? Against an ISO or against a PCI, for example, and need to show compliance to your internal policy programs to these regulations. Um, and Haley does all of that automatically. And just to put it kind of into perspective, the kind of power we're talking about here. So as a consultant, um, I would literally, when I was fresh out of college, just getting my feet wet in consulting, when they give me all of the really fun work and all the really fun projects, right? Um, I was literally hired at multiple client sites simply to do a crosswalk between regulations and frameworks. Right. How does it, how does this control from, you know, regulation A map onto this control from regulation B or these controls or what have you. And once upon a time, I was at a really, really large retail organization in Seattle and I was brought on to um, crosswalk five different regulations together. And that took me 240 hours worth of billable time. And Haley can do that kind of work in less than five minutes. So that's the kind of like magnitude of savings that we're talking about with AI. And at Six Clicks, we're a really AI forward organization. So th this is just the beginning for Haley. Um, Haley will be doing all of that predictive analytics later this mm -hmm. year as kind of the Haley 3.0, if you will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's truly powerful what big data and a little bit of AI thrown in can do for an organization. No, I think that that's, that that's very exciting. I really appreciate the example because you kind of laid out everything that they could do. And I'm like, that is, that is like, that is amazing. So I would imagine if you are listening to this and that is something your organization has to do, you immediately know who you are. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and then, then I guess la last question for you, Heather, is is who should reach out to you? Who do you want to connect with? Uh, you, either kind of in conjunction with what you're doing with Six Clicks, outside of Six Clicks. Who do you want to connect? Who do you who would you like to connect with? Who do you want to help? Who are you looking for help from? So I would love to help any organization that has multiple compliance requirements, or even one. If you're regulated we can help you. Um, we also have a slew of partners that we work with that can help you from a consultant consultancy perspective, but we can help you with our tool. We can help you streamline your processes. Um, anyone who's in an organization that has that hierarchical type of format or infrastructure within your organization, mm -hmm. and you need to maintain multiple risk registers, 
contact us. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you want to know more about GRC, mm -hmm. you know, hit me up. I'm here to talk about it. I would love to talk about budding organizations that are just getting their feet wet in information security or cybersecurity. Um, those are all really exciting conversations for me to have. Um, who I would like to learn from is I, I really love talking to industries that I don't get to hear from very often, right? In my world, I get to talk to technology, government, financial services, fintech, you know, mm -hmm. all of these really highly regulated healthcare type of industries. Um, and manufacturing, you know, falls into place some, but I'm really, um, I'd be keen to understand what cybersecurity means to people sitting in industrial technology or manufacturing right now, right? I know what it means from my perspective and how we can help, but I'm curious to understand if this is something that manufacturing and industrial technology type industry folks care about. Is this something that they're thinking about? Is this in the plans? Is this just something that they hear about and they don't know what to do with it, right? I would love to learn more about what that journey looks like because I think there's this gap that needs to be bridged between our industries and our expertise. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And I would say kind of to your point, I think the more regulated you are, so the, the pharmaceuticals, perhaps the automotive, certainly the aerospace, certainly the defense, like right. they have the slew of regulations, right? Oh, and they have, you know, you know, cross compliances and all of those things. I would say when you get into more like the, the wild, wild west, like the, the food and bev, you know, everything from, you know, a small mom and pop shop up to, you know, your, your fortune 50, uh, you know, that varies widely, right? I, I am sure the, for, I would know, I'm not sure. I would hope the fortune 500, maybe the fortune 5,000 all have some good form of GRC kind of in place. But when you get below that, a lot of that is kind of a, yeah, Vlad is shaking his head no, but we, we won't <laughs> dig into that fight. But, but uh, the kind of, once you get beyond that, the conversation comes of, you, you know, what, did, what do people care about technology-wise and yeah. what does risk and everything like that uh, look like and maybe how cyber or how compliance forward we are as an organization. So I would say it probably varies significantly from organization to organization, oh, um, which, which, which is a lot of what we've seen kind of around the, this general cybersecurity theme and, and much of kind of the experience of everyone that I've talked to and, and we've talked to. But, but I think that those would be very good conversations. Again, we need to create more awareness around GRC, around cyber, around all of these best practices in manufacturing as, as a whole. So I, I appreciate that. And I, I thank you. Uh, Vlad, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, on my side, I certainly have a lot of homework still to do. Uh, I think the world of cybersecurity, again, like it's, uh, I think it's easy to understand, but very complex once you get into it. And so I'm, yes. I'm just going to continue to read and have these conversations to learn more. But really, yeah. I appreciate your time and thank you for talking to us, Heather. Oh, it's yes. been such a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. No, no. Thank you, Heather. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, before I ask everyone to like and subscribe, I'd like to throw a special shout out to Hank and I believe his nieces. Uh, a couple of his young nieces uh, li live with them and they watch all of our shows, which is amazing. Wow. I think they are the, the two youngest uh, viewers <laughs> so far. So a special thank you, guys. Thank you, Hank. 
and uh, and your nieces. Thank you guys for that. Thank you everyone for for listening and watching and coming to spend some more time with us. If you have not, please do the thing like like and subscribe. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts, which is what we changed the name to. You can do it on Spotify. You can apparently do it on Audible. If you're one of like the three people we have listening on Audible, I don't know if three people is enough to get an Audible rating, but we would certainly appreciate your rating. All of it helps. We've been growing astronomically month over month on the podcast side. So thank you to all of our listeners and all of our viewers. Uh, Thank you. uh, Thank you, Heather. Thank you, everyone. Uh, We will see everyone live next week, Wednesday, and we'll catch you guys on the podcast on Thursday morning. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Heather.